we're good to go on that, and you are going to join us on that through the through the New Testament in a year. It's pretty easy. It's one chapter a day. Uh, so if you miss a day, it's pretty easy to catch up. So, all right. Well, if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23 is where we find ourselves this morning. Luke chapter 23. And uh, as we make our way through the last of the Gospel of Luke, uh, probably a couple more messages after this, uh, and then we'll be moving to the book of First and Second Corinthians. So that's what we have planned coming up. All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll pick it up there in verse 1. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity, Lord, and, um, you know, these just uh, great um, um, opportunities, Father, to, to read your word and to be connected to one another um, using these tools, Father, just, um, you know, even 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you know, we'd all have to get on the phone and kind of chat if we wanted to do something similar. Or, um, And then 50 years before that, it would just be, you know, we'd have to do this or that. But now we get to join in, Father. I know my uh, some of my family, my nephew, um, my sister and brother-in-law are part of the plan. And, and others in different parts, Lord, can join in and um, be a part of it, Father. And so we're just so thankful for those great uh, tools that you give us, and may we just use them, Father, to be drawn closer to you, Lord, because at the end, they're just tools, and and Lord, we, we do want to be close to you, and um, Father, I, I'm encouraged when I read what um, what other others post about, uh, Father, how you spoke to them. It, it just it, it encourages me as well, Father, so I know it does everybody else, and so we thank you for that, and just pray that, Lord, you'd help everybody that's kind of a little stuck, maybe getting through it, to get through it, and and once you're on board, it's pretty um, fly-by-wire. It's pretty not much to do other than go to the app, Lord, so um, now, Lord, as we, we do turn to your word together, Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts and our midst, Lord, and continue to do great things through our Lives, Lord, as, um, Father, we just learn from our Lord and Savior. May we know more about Him, fall in love with Him more, Lord, and just be drawn closer in our relationship uh, through the great work um, done on the cross, Father, the love that You have shown us. So bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we left off with, uh, you know, Christmas and so forth, but we left off last time with Luke, with Jesus being arrested in the garden and being led away at nighttime and going through uh, a couple of the trials. Uh, Luke does not cover all the trials uh, that Jesus went went to, and some of them he mentions just very briefly, but... Um, we know that um, that he was arrested, went through a couple of trials, and then Peter, as Jesus foretold, had denied him three times, uh, and that's kind of where we left off um, there. And I'll put our little charts up so you can just have some sense. The first uh, six tri- there were six trials, three religious trials, and three what we call civil trials, or before the Roman uh, rulers, um, two of them before Pilate and one before Herod. Um, the first two religious trials have already taken place, and um, they have taken place at, at night. 
And, uh, and then the third one really happens somewhere between the end of chapter 22 and the beginning here of chapter 23, because when we, we come out in the first one here, verse 1, he's already before Pilate. So those three religious trials now have passed. They've all condemned him. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but that's, that's what's going on uh, with Jesus right now. He's in that first civil trial. Uh, and that just gives us some sense. Again, I like to just give you some, I don't know, it helps me to picture it. You know, you can follow the numbers. Uh, number one is where they would have the, the Last Supper, and then he's walking, uh, talking to his disciples, going past the temple. Number four is the Garden of Gethsemane. Five is where he's arrested, brought, you know, to the Antonio uh, a fortress, uh, or, or brought before the, I'm sorry, the council, Caiaphas, and um, Annas' house, and then before Herod, and then, I'm sorry, before Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate again, and then out to the cross. And so, you know, just gives you some sense of how he's being moved around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, hopefully that gives you some, some sense of that. I, I do have a number of pictures that I put in of maybe what's, what, what the event might have looked like. Um, they lack a lot, but I put them in there just so that maybe that gives you some sense of what's going on when you see some of the pictures this morning here. In fact, I'll put the first one up here. Verse 1 tells us this. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, the Jewish leaders knew how to manipulate the Romans, right? Um, because if you remember from last time, and if you remember from the other gospel accounts, the bottom line is when they brought Jesus before him and made him swear under oath, which was part of the law, if you were held in a trial, they could uh, the, the high priest or the, the ruling priest, whoever the judge was, would say, you know, uh, you, know you, you need to swear before God that you're telling the truth. And, and Jesus did that. Are you the son of God? Yes. Ah, blasphemy. He rips his clothes and goes crazy. They do that a couple of times. And, and do we need to hear anything more? No, we don't need to hear anything more. We should, he's, he's worthy of death. But you notice when they go before the Romans, none of that is mentioned at all. Because they realized that they brought before Pilate and say, well, this guy's saying he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. There's no way he is. We don't believe it. We don't want it. We don't like it. Pilate's going to go, yeah, okay, whatever, <laughs> see you later, right? Hit, hit, hit the road, pack sand, uh, that has nothing to do with me. But the charges that they bring before the Romans are, he's basically a revolutionary, right? He's perverting the nation. Uh, that's what it says in verse 2, right? He's perverting the nation. In other words, you know, he's, he's trying to rile up trouble. He's an anarchist, we would say. Um, and, uh, and, and, he's, and one of the ways he's doing it is telling people not to pay taxes to Caesar. And man, I'm telling you, one way to get the government on your case is not to pay your taxes, right? <laughs> you know, that'll get them riled up every time. So you're causing some kind of insurrection, some trouble, uh, you know, we hate the Romans kind of thing, and we don't want to pay taxes. And, and then he's right in the face of Caesar because he's proclaiming himself to be king, a king, which would be a direct challenge of Rome's authority. Of course, none of those things happen in any of the religious trials, uh, and they try to trap him in some of those things we've read in the past, but the only way they knew that they could get 
the attention of Pilate or any of the Roman rulers is if they would charge him with sedition, right? You're trying to undermine the power of the country. Now, don't think this as being strange because it's still, ha you read about it, you watch it on the news, you read about it every day in many countries. I mean, in, in China, right? Some dissident in Hong Kong wrote her last little thing, you know, the last little tiny bit of freedom in Hong Kong, and they just, what, yesterday or the day before, they, they finally arrested her, she's gone. Uh, and they do that all the time, right? And we probably don't even hear of a, a smidgen of, you know, people that try to stomp down anybody that would come against them in some way. Russia's the same way, North Korea, and there's many dictators through, you know, the African continent, uh, South America, Central America. I mean, this just goes on today. It's been going on, uh, you know, people in power don't want to lose power, particularly if they're holding on by the rule of, of force. And so, you know, if they see people trying to do this, they jump right on it. So again, nothing new under the sun here. And that's exactly what they're accusing Jesus of. Um, uh, but what I want us to remember as we go through uh, these passages this morning, um, before next week we'll pick up on the heading off into the crucifixion, is remember who's on trial. It's not Jesus who's on trial. Now, anybody that's looking at it would say, okay, he already went through three religious trials. You know, he went through Caiaphas, who, uh, you know, was the power behind the high priest, but he officially wasn't the high priest. And Annas was, or did I get that backwards? I, I got that backwards. So Annas is the, was the power behind Caiaphas, but Caiaphas was the high priest. So, you know, the most powerful people of the Jewish nation. And then he, they brought him before the Sanhedrin. All of, all, all of them gathered together there. The 70 gathered there together, and they did their thing. And, and now it's going to be Pilate and Herod. So, you know, Jesus is not on trial. It's those people that are really on trial. You know, they're really being revealed it's being really revealed who and what they believe and think and want to do with Jesus. And can I say that trial happens today? When you share the gospel with somebody, when you're telling them about Jesus and you're presenting Jesus and you're standing there representing him in some way, uh, whether you know it's in person or you're sending somebody a text or you know on the phone or at work or whatever it is, you know, and they, they, you know, you think, man, they're coming down, they're trying to pick my life apart. Listen, you're not the one that's on trial, right? It's them. What are they going to do with who Jesus is? And, uh, you know, the Lord puts us in those situations and it looks like, man, I have to defend myself. Uh, you know, I'm really being run down here. What kind of Christian are you? You know, and all these kind of things. But the reality of it is, you know, they're on trial. Because you're representing Jesus, you're presenting Jesus, what are they going to do uh, with this, the Messiah? He, Jesus said very clearly, we read this earlier in, in Luke and it's in the Gospels, is that, you know what, um, I, I, am, I am here, what, what are you going to do? I, I, I know it's going to divide houses, it's going to divide people, you know, people are going to hate you because of me, uh, you know, there's going to be problems, it's going to do this. But I, I force purposely... And thoughtfully, you know, people to make a decision. You know, you, you, you can't just sit on the fence with this. And they're really on trial at the end of the day. 
Uh, and that's uh, why Jesus is so calm and doesn't feel like he has to defend himself and hire the best lawyers and get Johnny Cochran. I guess he's dead now or whatever. You know what I mean? Right? It's all, it's all, all done. So uh, they, they bring him in and they give him the accusation. And then verse 3 says, And then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Now, uh, again, we're not told in the Gospel of Luke, but they couldn't go inside the Roman um, Herod's palace, probably where uh, where, uh, Pilate was. And I know he's in the Antonio Fortress at some point because it would defile them you know, for Passover and the Day of Feast. So they have to stand outside and do this. The other gospel tell us this. But, but again, um, um, he's, he's standing before Pilate at this point. And I know I have this picture up here. But again, they really don't do justice because you have to remember at this time that Jesus has gone through at least three beatings at this point. And he has some more to go through. And probably the last one where he gets flogged is probably the worst of it. But he's been beaten up, you know, as we read a little bit last time. So he's standing before Pilate at this point. Um, You you know, you you kind of picture that in your mind. I mean, he is just bruised up and bleeding and probably got broken bones and, you know, face probably swollen because remember they put a bag over his head or they blindfolded him somehow and started hitting him in the face, you know, and, and beating him and uh, all sorts of stuff, right? And so can you imagine, Jesus is kind of by himself, imagine kind of the religious leaders are outside, but Pilate's close enough where we can hear their voices and they can communicate, but here's Jesus, and I, I don't know, I find this kind of unusual, maybe, maybe you do too, you know, he asks this important question, are you the king of the Jews? You know, maybe he's even understanding a little bit what the Messiah means, and that's maybe the question he's asking. Um, But man, he sure didn't look kingly at all. I mean, he was this one beat-up man uh, that you think anybody would have looked at him and said, that would be the last question I'd ask, because obviously this guy's not kingly at all. I mean, look at the state of him, right? Um, So again, kind of picture that in his mind. Uh, And everything he kind of goes through they're going to at very least manhandle him and most of the time they're beating him pretty pretty senseless here and so they ask you know the of course the most important question is asked you know are you the messiah the king of the jews and um, jesus answers him and tells him yes and pilate can see very clearly that jesus was innocent of the accusations the Lord is going to make it very clear to us, the Father, that Jesus was innocent of all these uh, trumped-up charges that they have. It's all, all these charges are false. It's clear to everybody what's really going on here. Uh, the Lord makes it that way, uh, that it has nothing to do with, with Jesus doing something wrong. It has everything to do with others who want to hold on to their power or hate Jesus because of this or don't want to recognize his messiahship uh, or, or any combination, a number of things here. And, and Pilate is, is even as corrupt as he was. He could see pretty clearly what was going on here. And, and, and it'll be very clear to him all the way to the very end. Not that he'll do anything about it, but it's, it's clear that Jesus wasn't that. 
So they say he's, he's innocent, right? Verse 5 then, but they were more fierce saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So here we have now, you know, he's, you know, hey, stirring up trouble everywhere from Galilee all the way down. Well, wait a minute, is he from Galilee? Wait a minute, <laughs> he's from Galilee? And uh, really? Now, rightly so, Pilate should have just dismissed the case. He knew his instance, he said, you guys are nuts, this is some kangaroo trial, whatever you guys are trying to pull here, I'm not going along with it. He should have just dismissed the case and let Jesus go. But because the Jewish rulers are pressing him and they're pressing the issue to the max and he feels, you know, this pressure to do what they want him to do, the mob is really pressuring him. You know, this light bulb clicks in, uh, in Pilate's head. Hey, there's a loophole. I don't have to make this decision here. Because technically, if Jesus is from the Galilee region, then he's not really under my rule uh, really, Herod is the one ruling in that area, and so, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm just going to send him over to him. I'll get rid of the problem. I don't have to deal with it. I'm going to send him over there. Now, this isn't the Herod that was alive when Jesus was born and he put all the babies to death. This is one of his sons. But this is the Herod that put John the Baptist to death, okay? You remember all that whole story about his stepdaughter dancing and that whole story? Most of you remember that. So this is the Herod that put John the Baptist to, to death. And so, great, he's in town for the, for the feast, for the Passover, and on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm going to dodge that bullet. Um, you know, I'm just going to send him over to Herod and let him deal with all this, and I don't have to deal with it, I don't have to make a decision, and I can just kind of sweep the whole thing under the carpet. But again, as I said, you, you know, they're on trial, it's not Jesus. You see, because people try to do the same thing as Pilate does. They're faced with the decision of Jesus. Well, what are you going to do with him? I, I've shared with you the gospel. Maybe you've heard about it since you were a little child. Maybe, you know, your, your family has been telling you about it, but, you know, or, or however you've heard it through the radio or TV, the internet, uh, other people, this, that, somebody at work or whatever. And, you know, what are people going to do about Jesus? You know, what do they do? And, uh, uh, as I said, the Lord makes people, you know, hear the gospel and then have to do something about it. They have to make a decision. And a lot of people will just be like, well, I don't really want to commit to anything, you know, because I don't really know. And I kind of like my life. I'm not, this is kind of unsure. And I don't want to change what I want to change and this and that and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I just, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to even worry about any of that stuff. I, I, you know, I'm just going to kind of sweep it under the rug. See if I can stay out of it. Um, you know, people think I, that I can have this position. I'm not really uh, against him. Uh, you know, I'm not really for him. I, I'm just kind of straddling the fence here. And, uh, but I can come up with a good excuse for my position. You know, why I feel the way I, I felt that way. And I just, you know, again, want us to remember that because... 
people, you know, yeah, people can be right about uh, certain uh, hobbies, uh, things they like to do. I, I read this great illustration um, uh, about uh, you know a sports analogy. You know how people can be so into sports, whatever sport it might be. You know, since football is coming to coming to the you know playoffs and and coming to a close here and if you watched the Rose Bowl yesterday and and this and that but you know um, you know people have they're so into it they know so much about it uh, this article was from Moody Monthly some some years ago and it was an illustration of 12 excuses why a, a person would want to quit sports now obviously you can find out what the analogy, you can see the analogy isn't too hard to figure out. And I'll put it up here. It says, uh, every time I went, they asked for money, you know, a reason why they should quit sports, right? And the people whom I sit, uh, had to sit uh, didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and uncomfortable. The coach never came to see me. The referee made a decision in which I could not agree I was sitting with some hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. The band played numbers I had never heard before, and the games are scheduled when I want to do other things. Or another excuse was, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. <laughs> And since I've read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches know anyhow. And finally, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. I like that. You know, using the sports analogy for the excuses that, you know, nobody would ever come close to using those excuses why they're not going to watch their favorite sport or football or something, right? But yet all those things are excuses why people won't go to church and they come up with all those kind of things. And at the end of the day, there's no fence sitting. And, uh, you know, a person's going to have to, a person's going to see who Jesus is and acknowledge that at some point. Now, if you do it in this life, the promise is salvation, becoming a child of God, your sins forgiven, you're in right relationship with the Father, I mean, you're, you're, you're promised, you know, eternity uh, in heaven and all those other blessings that are there. But those who don't will still acknowledge it. But when, if they acknowledge it after this life here, then the problem is you miss all that, to say the least. As a matter of fact, you get the opposite of everything, which is called hell. And uh, so putting it off is not a successful strategy, I'll say, uh, to, say, to water it down to say the least. People have to make a decision about that. And sometimes, because they know they have to make a decision, and you're the face of Jesus in that sense, you represent him, they're not going to like you, they're going to say things about you, they're going to do things that are going to, you know, obviously make uh, you look like bad or put you down in some way so that they can feel better about their excuse and their reason. So that's Herod's decision. I'll just send him off. I'm sorry, that's Pilate's decision. I'll just send him off to Herod. Go get out of here. I don't have to do anything with it. Let's do it. And so verse 8 tells us, uh, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him 
because he had heard many things about him and he had hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Now, uh, again, to me, it's amazing that you even call this a trial. Um, But you notice that Herod wanted to see him. And we read that earlier in Luke, um, that that Herod wanted to see him. The Gospels talk about that. And uh, remember Jesus' answer in the Gospel, tell that fox, you know, uh, three, uh, three days uh, and then I'll rise after the third day. And he, he addressed that, but never went to see, to see Herod. Now he is standing in front of him. And of course, you know, if you like to note these things in your Bible, you know, he had hoped to see some miracles done by him, verse, end of verse 8. Um, to him, it was like, I'm going to be entertained. I want to be amazed. I, uh, uh, I want it to be like, I never saw them, but I just watched some videos and heard stories of the Zik. Zik- Siegfried and Roy in Vegas. Supposedly they made tigers appear. Well, I did see a few things on YouTube or something I, at some point. But uh, I heard stories from people that saw the show and it was, you know, amazing, breathtaking, the things that they could, that they could do um, with uh, their act, if you would. You know, the modern day Houdini type of thing here, even, even a greater degree to that. That's what Herod was interested in. I just want to get some great entertainment. I mean, see somebody that is blind to, to see again, some guy that, a person that can't walk to, you know, to walk, a person that's demon-possessed, to hear that shriek and the demon come. I, I just want to be entertained by it, right? But note this, that Jesus had nothing to say to him. Now, that should strike us as very strange and unusual because Jesus always had something to say, right? He was always talking to the people, whether he was pulling them aside or talking to the crowds or talking to the disciples or addressing this or addressing that. Jesus came to talk to the people. And yet here, he is not saying a word to Herod and all those that are in Herod's court. I like this quote. It said, Herod was silenced Um, Herod had silenced the voice of God. It was not Herod who was judging Jesus. It was Jesus who was judging Herod, which is something we have been talking about. And this is the status, I'm sorry, the saddest state of any person. When Jesus has nothing to say to you. Because if Jesus has nothing to say to you, In Herod's case, he's gone. There's no hope for him. His fate is sealed. There is no redeeming at all, period, at all, done, closed, see you later. You know, turn the the open sign to closed, (laughs) done for business, doors locked, it's all done. That's it. It's it's, it's a pretty heavy passage here. Maybe we've, we've read over in the past, but Jesus has nothing to say to him at all, in any form or shape, or anybody of those that are around listening, because at this point, there's nothing to say, because there's, their fate is sealed. Now, I hope this never happens to anyone that I know, nor do I believe it happens very often, my personal opinion. I mean, I believe in the mercy and the grace of God, 
um, is far beyond what we can understand. But we need to know this as, as well, that there is a point that comes in a person's life, albeit I believe it happens for most people at their dying breath, but there is a very strong case here in scriptures and other places where that's it. They've come to a point of no return and, and, and their fate is sealed. Thankfully, the father never, well, I shouldn't say never, but generally, it was never revealed to me nor anybody that I maybe ever have heard of, um, but there is that point. And I say all this that we might take it serious and that we might pass it along as a serious thing. You know, you can't just go on this fence-sitting routine and you can't push Jesus aside and keep pushing Jesus aside because at some point the, the, the Father might say, okay, you don't want anything to do with Jesus? You have nothing to do with Jesus. And that seals a person's fate. And in this case, that's what's going on. Again, I hope that never happens to anybody that I know of, that you know, God's grace and mercy will continue on and they will receive Him, but there is a very stark and sharp warning here. Uh, for, for Herod, that was it. And, you know, uh, he's not saying a word. Now, Herod doesn't like this, verse 11, right? Then Herod, with his men of war, so his soldiers, right, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him with a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. So again, we see Her the true colors of Herod coming out. He doesn't get what he wants from Jesus, and so what does he do? He gets the soldiers to beat him and mock him. And of course, we know that they did some heavy beating and from the other Gospels and, you know, really uh, made fun of him, mocked him, and put that robe on him and, you know, pretended to bow down to him. Again, he, he took a horrible beating at the hands of, of Herod and his soldiers there. But notice this action draws Pilate and Herod close. Don't, don't you find that true? People who don't like each other in many ways or don't agree on many things at all, but when Jesus is in the midst of him and they stand opposed, they'll stand shoulder to shoulder in opposition to Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, they really will do that. It's pretty sad, but you know they might not agree on a lot of things, but man, you start talking about Jesus and Christianity, what the Bible says, all of a sudden they're best buns, buds and chums, and yeah, we, we can one thing we can agree upon, we hate everything to do with the Bible or Jesus or Christianity. Um, I, 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 you know, it, it, we, we see that happen. You know, they'll, they'll gang up on us from all different directions as believers, as Christians. And they'll unite on a, on a single front to come against, you know, the truth of the gospel and, of course, Jesus and what the Bible has to say. And Christian point of view in, in the world, they'll definitely come up and do that. And uh, they will come together uh, with loud voices in opposition uh, to Jesus, for sure, just as they do here. Now, to this point, we've had three reactions towards Jesus. And uh, I don't have the slides right here because uh, I didn't put it in the slides. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
Never mind. Well, there's three reactions to Jesus, right? There's one where, where the religious leaders just are jealous and they want nothing uh, to do with him at all. Uh, they, uh, you know, they just want to get rid of him because they're jealous. Uh, they have the, the Herod reaction where I just don't want to deal with it. I'm going to pass it on to somebody else. I know he's innocent. I know, uh, you know, there's truth there, but I, I don't want to, I'm going to ignore it and pass it along. And of course, there's those that mock like Herod did and want to, you know, beat down everything and anything they have to do with Jesus. And again, those are very common reactions that we see today. Uh, nothing new under the sun. Uh, people react to Jesus in, in those ways. Uh, pretty th- three pretty common ways how people react to, to Jesus. Uh, when, when confronted with, listen, are you going to believe and receive? Or are you going to you know, reject and, and, uh, and, and igno- or ignore? And that's a very common reactions today, these three that we see here. Okay, but back to our story. So basically, Herod just beats him to a pulp and doesn't say anything, really. There's no decision really made. They realize he's not saying anything. There's nothing to really incriminate him with. He wanted to really entertain at the end of the day, and so he's just like, ah, send him back to Pilate. <laughs> so he's back to Pilate. Verse 13 says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, Well, you have brought me this man, this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in the man concerning the things, those things which you have accused him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. So again, it's very clear, God's making it very clear to everyone in power and authority and to all those who were in the courts listening on that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Very clear. And uh, and yet, you know, Pilate is willing to pervert justice here, right? By beating an innocent man who's already been beaten. I mean, you, you, you want to look at him, he's already been beaten in, in you know, three, at least three different, four different instances here. You know, just to appease the leaders, he's willing to have him severely beated and then let him go. So he says, well, how about that? I'll just beat him to an inch of his life for your sakes, make you happy, Okay, and then I'll let him go, and then we'll be done with it. And because I, you know, it's been a long-held tradition that I let somebody go during this feast, somebody that is accused of something. Uh, it's been a long tradition. I'm, I, 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 I would free somebody, and so let it be Jesus. He's, he's the perfect guy to let free because he didn't do anything after all. He's innocent. And I'll, I'll beat him up so that you can just say you got your good licks in there, and then I'll let him go. And, uh, and then I'll let him go. So how about that, guys? What do you think about that? Um, and, well, let's see what the, the crowd has to say in verse 18. And they cried out once more, saying, Away with this man, and release to us uh, Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. So we get a little background on Barabbas here. Uh, 
Verse 20, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus again called out to them, but they shouted saying, crucify him and crucify, you know, crucify him, crucify him. They're shouting this out, out, out to him at this point. Now, again, Pilate knew the religious leaders were jealous and they hated Jesus. And so he holds, you know, um, I, I think what Pilate tries to do here is hold out this huge contrast. Listen, I know he's innocent. You know he's innocent. Herod knew he was innocent. Everybody knows he's innocent. So I, I'm supposed to let somebody go. I'll beat him and let him go. Okay, you don't like that? How about, how about I, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, how about if I, um, uh, you, you know, uh, then they say, well, let, let me have Barabbas. Let us, let us release Barabbas. And I, and I believe, you know, uh, the Lord is showing us this huge contrast because Barabbas is a murderer, insurrectious. All the things they accused Jesus of, this guy did and uh, really did. And he was a murderer. So, I mean, you're holding up, you know, in front of everybody, arguably, but just the best and the worst. What are you going to choose? You, you know, you're going to choose, it's black and white, we would say today. It should have been no contest. But these guys would rather have this murderer and this rebel around than the Lord of Lords. Um, and that's what they wanted so bad. And it just shows the heart of man and shows how people can be. And then, and you know, we get upset when people want to judge us and falsely accuse us and say all sorts of stuff about us. And put it, you know, at the end of the day, we have to realize that Jesus said it's going to happen and it's going to continue to happen. And if they could choose between, you know, receiving some people, Jesus and doing the right thing or the exact opposite, there is just going to be people that are going to choose the exact opposite. And you and I are going to be like, what? How in the world could you even think that way? You know, here's the Lord of Lords and the light of all and the good and love and the mercy. And you're going to choose you know, this over this, and we just get dumbfounded. We're like, I can't, I, I just don't understand. I, um, I know I've shared this story in only a million times, but uh, I remember uh, many years ago, my, you know, great aunt had a stroke, and, um, you know, she was just such a sweetheart of a lady, and um, uh, she was in the hospital, and, and, and she was in the hospital, and I heard, I forgot how I heard through, um, and she was in the hospital, had a really severe stroke. And so, you know, I'm, oh, I'm going to go to the hospital and pray for her. So I went to the hospital and, um, you know, I, uh, saw her in there and there was like, you know, eight or nine people in the room, you know, one of those, you know, call, you can relate to them, right? You know, there's all kinds of people doing all sorts of stuff in there and everything. And they see me. And of course, the first thing is, you know, Hey, you need to leave, get out of here. And so, I don't do this a whole lot, but I felt like it, so I pulled the pastor card. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm a pastor. And then usually that, for most times, they, they're usually pretty good about letting in. I said, listen, I'll stay out of the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to her toe. I'll be at the very end of the bed, as far away as from everybody. I just want to pray for her. And they were nice enough to, to, to let me pray for her. And so, you know, I, they're, they're running around. And I didn't want to get in their way anyway. It wasn't my intention to, to hinder any kind of medical care at all. But I did want to pray for her, and I felt like I should. And so I said, say, well, I am pastor and I need to pray for her. And, and they were, so I, I, I remember holding her toe and, and praying for her and, uh, you know, uh, you know, cause I knew the Lord wanted me there. And so I, you know, prayed for her and then I, 
you know, didn't spend a 20 minute prayer and thou and these and everything. I just prayed for and then kind of left the room and then I met my, my great uncle. Again, people I've known since I was born, right? And he was in the, in the um, not the waiting room. What do you call that? Where they sit people when they're sick? The waiting room? Is that what it's called? Okay, the waiting room? Okay, first, yeah, the waiting room. You know what I'm talking, you know, right in the hospital, they have those little rooms next to the ICU or whatever, and you can sit in there. So he was in there, and just it was just me in there, and and, uh, and I said, oh, hi, you know, Uncle uh, uh, Gordon, he's long died, you know, and I said to him, uh, you know, Uncle Gordon, I just, you know, I came, I heard, you know, uh, she was sick, and I wanted to come down and pray and for her, and so I did, and I just... You know, I feel like, you know, I just want you to know about Jesus. And, and again, I've told the story many times. And he said, Dylan, I mean, right there. I said, I mentioned the word Jesus out of one sentence. I don't want to hear it. He was from Iowa, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I brought that up. It made me think about it right now. And, and then I'm like, that can't be right. It's my Uncle Gordon. I've known him since I can remember. We talked all the time. I mean, we parties. He and I would have a connection. He worked at a refinery. I worked at a refinery. I mean, I, we, had a, we had a lot in common. And I said, no, no, Uncle Gordon, I'm not, it's not like that. I just want to tell you about, you know, I just, Jesus, Dylan, his voice went up, I don't want to hear it. Hand goes up again. And I, I just thinking to myself, no, this just can't be. Come on, this is my Uncle Gordon, dying the third time. Maybe he's just upset with his wife and the stroke or something like this. And then I said, no, but no, I just, I just really want to tell you, Jesus, Dylan, and he stands up and his voice is raised and his hands out in front of me. I don't want to hear it. And I'm like, he doesn't want to hear it. And I'm thinking, but your wife is in there of 50 or whatever it is, you know, literally dying. And she literally passed away within that day or the next day. And he doesn't want to hear it. And I couldn't understand why he didn't want to hear it. I mean, it just, I couldn't get that during this time, how could you not want to hear it? And of course, how could you not want to hear it anyway? But how could you not want to hear it, especially during this time? Most people, you know, would be willing to do anything. Your wife's in there probably dying. And, you know, you, most people you think would be open. It was just the opposite. And then I just remember he walked up and left. And I'm like, ah, I remember leaving it. And I was so down and dejected. And I was like, Lord, I, I, I. I know you wanted me here. I know I was supposed to come. I felt impressed to share the gospel with my, you know, great uncle. You know, I tried to pray for my aunt, and then, you know, I just left kind of dejected. And then, you know, the next day I hear she died, and then I'm like, well, what was that all about? And then, you know, about two weeks later, my great uncle died. And he, and he was a healthy guy. He just, just died. And I remember the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He goes, you know, Dylan, I, I wanted to share... Let him know about the love of Jesus one more time. Give him an opportunity to give his life and his heart to the Lord. And, you know, I, I wanted to give him that final opportunity. And I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, and it, and it was very sad in a lot of, in, in a lot of ways because, you know, I just couldn't quite understand how could you reject it so violently? How could you choose whatever you're choosing over this? And yet... That's exactly what they're doing here. Um, you know, some, some guys, some people have supposed, and, and don't misunderstand this because this could turn into some horrible wrong and has turned into some horrible uh, wrong doctrine, but I read one Bible commentary, 
commentators say this, and it's just kind of food for thought because please, people have taken this wrong. But you know, his comment was this: is one of the reasons that, that the Jews have suffered so much um, could be because of this whole hardness of heart towards the things of the Lord and Jesus and all this. Um, and I throw that out there just kind of as a food for thought. Not that we should personally love them; we want them to come to know Jesus there. The Bible has much to say about them. Romans 9, 10, and 11 talk about, you know, they're the, they're the natural tree and, you know, uh, we're grafted in. But, uh, you know, they chose vehemently anything but Jesus. They chose the worst over the best, if I could put it in those terms. Well, let's, let's finish up here. Verse 22, And then he said to them a third time, why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. Therefore, I will chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And those voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. Guys, I, I, I want to you know, highlight that quickly here. Mob rule because it still happens today. Even though it was clear to many that Jesus was innocent, yet these leaders and some of those that were, you know, with them, obviously supporting them, uh, you know, demanded that this be done, and that very vocal minority um, uh, rule, uh, won out. I, I, I can't help but to think I compare it today of, you know, the, the homosexual agenda and these whole hate, hate crimes and whole revisionist history kind of thing. You know, uh, it's so prevalent in our society and kind of is so much bigger. And it's just these few uh, loud drowning out voices that push everybody else in that direction. And, you know, they, they, they put it on TV, they institute it as part of the movies and TV shows and uh, on, on social media and all over the place, you know, that, that, you know, live in lives of rebellion and sin against God in whatever shape or form that might be, uh, isn't that at all. As a matter of fact, if you want to call any of those things, and I'm not just limiting that to the homosexual community because there is a whole bunch of other ones that fall, uh, you know, uh, a, a line of, you know, opposition to the things of the Lord, they want to call those things hate crimes. And they want to join together and, you know, drown out the truth and the people who share, you know, the truth of uh, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and what our Heavenly Father has done in embracing and loving people. And um, it still happens today. And those loud voices want to come together and, and, and they're going to push us into a corner and push us in a corner, call us worse and worse and accuse us of more and more things. And, and it's going to, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to put a lot of pressure on us. Kind of reminds me of that story. You, you guys remember five, six years ago, I don't know, time flies for me. But remember in Santa Cruz County, there was this like small group of I don't know, it was one or two people or three people or so, I can't remember, it was a very small amount, a handful of people that wanted the county to stop spraying Roundup. 
you know, on, on, you know, going up in the Santa Cruz mountains and, you know, take care of the weed abatement along the roads and all these kind of stuff. So, so no fire hazard and all this stuff. Ah, Roundup is the, you know, the killer of killers and this and that and, and, you know, spraying that stuff. You're killing our pets and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I use Roundup, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, how are you feel about that, right? Chemicals, you know, obviously, uh, I was spraying something for ants the other day, and my neighbor was saying, oh, isn't that hard on the pets and, and, and kids? And I said, well, if they don't drink it, no problem. <laughs> I've been using it for like 10 years around this house, and I have pets and children and never had a problem. But anyway, I shouldn't go down that road. But the bottom line for my story is back to my story and off of my little opinion here, uh, which isn't worth anything. But, you know, he got the county going to, you know, all these things to get rid of not using Roundup. And so now they have to use trucks uh, and have these mowers. And, uh, you know, somebody made it made a, made a thing that causes so much more pollution because now you need, rather than one guy in a truck spraying Roundup as he goes, you need to have this tractor that has a cutting thing here. You need to have a truck, you know, that's picking up all these clippings. You need to have a whole group of people growing around doing this and all the exhaust from all the equipment and all this stuff is far worse than, than the solution. And I say all this just kind of in a funny way because it's this vocal minority that will push crowds in this direction and they'll do it very you know slowly and subversively and make it sound all good and normal and right and how could you say that that's sin or that's wrong or Jesus would be against that you know um, it, it's it's all part of the, the part and parcel with this whole thing and you can see that happening here as it's just happening today and Pilate just gives you know uh, one other, um, you know, last chance here. Let's just get, you know, no problem. Let's just, let's just try to let them go. They weren't doing it. They bullied him into it. And so verse 24, so Pilate gave the sentence that they should do as they requested and he released them the one they requested. So the murderer and the seditionist Barabbas got released who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So again, Pilate, what was his final decision? Even though he knew it was wrong, even though he knew what he was doing was against justice and against what was right, he was more interested in appeasing the people and going along with how they were pushing in the direction that they were going rather than doing what is right which happens today. People will do what's expedient rather than what is right. Now, uh, again, uh, people will go along with the crowds because they don't want to stand out. That peer pressure just doesn't end at school. You know, those peer pressure in society, you're going to be a little, you know, you stand up for Jesus and you're going to be a light in a dark place and the light is easily spot, spotted in a dark place and, and they're going to want to, again, drowned out the light. They don't like the light. Of course, Jesus talked about that. And John particularly, uh, they hate the light. Neither they want to come to the light lest, because lest their deeds be, their evil deeds be exposed, right? In the end of John chapter 3. And so, uh, you know, Pilate is just getting pushed into that. And he, I'd rather do that. I'd rather just get rid of the whole thing together and be done with it than, than, to, than to deal with Jesus. And notice it says he delivered... Jesus to their will, which is accurate to a certain degree, but only part of the truth, right? Because Jesus was delivered 
to his Father's will for the eternal purposes predestined before the world was created, that certainly this would be accomplished in his death paying for the sins of the world. So really that's just part of it. In his mind it was, okay, I'll let you do whatever you want. But the reality is that God had the over, overarching will of this is his predetermined, predestined plan in his eternal purposes. They are going to come to pass no matter what man chooses to do or not chooses to do. And of course, aren't we thankful uh, of that? Um, how many times have we wanted something that later on we go, oh man, I'm so glad you didn't answer that prayer, Lord. <laughs> All right. And um, of course, we see God's purposes coming to pass here. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we do, you know, as we read these trials and, you know, it's hard to understand, Father, for us that um, how people could just choose anything other than you, Lord, and your plan of salvation and what Jesus did for us. Um, Lord, we, we've, we've come to learn, those of us that have received that free gift of salvation through that work of Jesus on the cross, that we've come to just be amazed at the love and the mercy and the grace and the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and, and the promises of what you have in store for us and so much more. What we receive in, in that relationship with you. And, and every day we're more and more amazed by it and we, more and more we're just blown away by how much you love us and how much you work in and through our lives and how well you know us. And, 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 and when we know that and then we see somebody rejecting that for, uh, for anything, it just kind of scratches our head. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to push aside Jesus so that you can make sure you're watching every football game on Sunday or so that you can, you know, do this hobby or, or you know, live this way or whatever it is, Father. And there's just a, such a multitude of myriad of things, Lord. And, uh, and we kind of shake our heads. And so, Lord, may we never grow weary, though, in well-doing. May we continue to shine brightly for... Well, I think a lot of us would find that we did that on a number of occasions in our lives, and you didn't give up on us, and nor do we want to give up on others. We want to continue to shine brightly and help us to do that, Father. And Lord, even though persecution and the naysayers and the lies and the false accusations will come and all this, Father, just know it's, Father, help us to remember that it's just not really us they're speaking against, but but it's really you, and they. They want to push you away, and we just happen to be the ones in front of them representing you. So encourage us with that, Lord. Father, we pray that anybody that has never opened their heart to you would, would do so. That stop sitting on the fence, and they can only, can't keep you at arm's length and push you away and think they can make the decision you know, tomorrow or the next week or next year when things settle down or whatever excuse they come up with, that today is the day of salvation. As no one knows how long they have. And so, Father, you want it to happen uh, uh, as soon as they hear and to receive. And we do too because we know how wonderful it is. And we pray that those that haven't, Lord, would do that now. And it's as simple as asking. And your promise is to come in and love them and forgive them and make them your son or your daughter and, uh, Lord, be, be a part of this great family that you've made us. 
And so, Father, we pray that they would do that now. And Lord, may we continue to be faithful and, and Lord, continue to shine brightly in these last days, even though the, the voices will grow louder and louder and push us more and more into a corner, Lord. Um, help us to remain faithful to the end, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, Amen you guys. May the Lord bless you.